say for network i'm biggs and i'm carl so we're gonna be doing things a little bit different going forward uh carl and brandon can't be in the same room at the same time there was some <laughs> some bickering some fighting uh some punching no it's just a scheduling thing uh-huh. so i'm gonna record this twice a week and then just put it together into one podcast and i think this is an opportunity for both you guys to really branch out into weird tangents so i'm excited for it's this possible and i i think that we'll be uh we might be uh revisiting material week to week as either Brandon or I respond to something that the other one said. Yeah. And I might, week or. <laughs> I might, I might going forward. It won't be this episode because we did one with Brandon. We're doing one with you, but I might edit that together. So you'll see how the editing works. But if you listen to this now, you know, we're not all in the room at the same time. So <laughs> yeah. Like, it'll be a clusterfuck I'll figure out later. But uh, I wanted to start out talking about Star Wars Visions, and I didn't have a ton to say about it, but have you gotten a chance to watch these? Is that the anime? Yes. Nope. So I think it's been on record I'm not, like, a big anime guy. Yeah. Um, I watched seven of the nine. That was all I had time for. Uh, I Good, watched uh, Star Trek tribute, though. Star Trek tribute? Yeah, 709. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. If we were in the... Chicago, I'd say, duh, Borg. Duh, Borg. <laughs> So I watched the lion's share of them last night. Uh, I do want to say there was like two of them I did not like. Are these what if stories? No, they're all taking place in the Star Wars universe. I think like two of them take place during the original trilogy of the seven I watched. There's one that looks like it takes place definitely after the whole Kylo Ren era. And there's like one that takes place during the prequel area era. And then three that I think take place in the distant past. Like you can see the strings of Star Wars in it, but it's like certain things aren't established yet. Are these stories about just original characters or are these this established characters in new situations or what? So of the seven episodes I saw, I believe only one episode had established characters that I've seen. Um, wow. And that was the second one, which I didn't particularly care for, but it ended okay. And that was one where a band is playing and there's like a member of the hut that plays bass, space bass, basically. <laughs> and uh, Boba Fett goes to take him in and kind of neutralizes their ship as they're leaving a gig because they keep getting their gigs interrupted. They go to take him back basically to be executed by Jabba because he won't take the responsibility he's supposed to have as a hut, And they convince him to play one last song. And it kind of gets me, even though I don't even like the song. <laughs> I just like something about the end of it. It ended well. Let me put it that way. But you have like Jabba, you have Bib Fortuna, and you have Boba Fett. And I did not recognize any character in any of them after <laughs> that. But the first one is a Stone Cold classic. Like I would say it's one of the best animated things I've seen, period. <laughs> and I don't think it's an accident they put it at the start. It's all black and white and slightly sepia in a cosmic void we broke down yojimbo and when i watched this like one of the reasons i wanted to do yojimbo was because i knew star wars took some things from yojimbo this seems to take the idea of like what if we like revisit yojimbo but really really do it a lot like yojimbo and so it's not the exact story but it's the same setup and it's fascinating like it's a great story the animation just really flies they crib some john williams music for parts of it and they get the perfect music for the perfect moments 
And it's just like one of the best animated things I've ever seen, period. They do a really interesting thing with the Sith in that one. So I would really recommend the first episode. Did they all drop together? Yes, they dropped all Mm -hmm. nine at once. And they range from, I believe, 13 to like 22 minutes. Oh, wow. That's a big range. Yeah, so it's like I, I they, and it's a different creative team with each episode. So right. like different animation styles, different kinds of storytelling. I would say on the whole, I mean, of the seven I watched, I really like five was, of them. This is Star. I thought it was Star Wars Infinity. It's Star Wars it's Visions. Visions. Yeah, is Star Wars Infinity. Something else. I don't know what that is, other than video games. Like my my Maybe kid had Infinity. Yeah. Uh, for Star Wars, that's but what... there's one other one I kind of want to spotlight, which was they had this episode where the seven Jedi are summoned to this lost temple. And this takes place way in the past and lightsabers have just been lost to the Jedi. And so they're promised a lightsaber essentially. And it comes to like this really cool thing in the third act of the story where this girl, basically her father gets killed or taken. I think he gets taken off by soldiers that work for the Sith and they have this story about how like the lightsabers can change lengths based off of like the preference of the Jedi just naturally but also the color of the blade is dependent on the Jedi who's using it and so she's using her lightsaber and it's kind of clear like when she's using it because like she's not an established force user yet and when she drops off the lightsabers all of a sudden five of them glow red and you're like fuck because that's like the Sith color It was just like this really fun turn, but it was also really interesting the way that they played with the lore of it and just really, really well done. Like, I think it was a really good thought experiment of like a lot of this is rooted in Japanese cinema. So let's just take it back to Japanese cinema. You know, like in some of the shorts, the lightsabers are normal lightsabers. And in some of them, they kind of look like samurai swords, you know, it's really, really interesting. So that's all I had to say about that. But I would definitely check it out. And if you're not sure, just watch that first episode for sure, because I guarantee like people will love that first episode. It's really, really good. So another thing I have here, I I know of your love of John Larroquette, and I know of your love for like the rebooted Roseanne and Murphy Brown and things like that. So apparently NBC just ordered a season of Night Court, so they're rebooting it. Oh, yeah. No, I heard about this. Yeah. They have an actress playing Harry Anderson's daughter. Yes. uh, And John Larroquette's coming back, right? Yes. He's the only like surviving member. (laughs) He might be, dude. Like, of all the main ones, he's definitely the only one left. I think he might be the only one left. I mean, I think Marsha Warfield's still alive, but she was a late entry to Night Court. Yeah, she's not original. I think Richard Maul's still around. Who played Bull, like the really, really Richard. tall guy. Yeah, he was the guy that when we were doing box office battle, which isn't canon anymore. Oh, I know I who know, we, I know who we're talking about. Yeah. Big bald guy. I, I wanted to ask, is this something that you would check out? Because yes. I heard about it and I was immediately like Richard Mull is still alive. Harry okay. Anderson's dead, John Larroquette's alive, Marky Post is dead. Charles Robinson died this year. That was Mac. Yeah. He died in t- July. Marky Post died. Marsha Warfield is alive. Yeah, I felt like that would have hit my radar if she passed. I liked Marsha Warfield. I even watched her talk show when I was a kid. <clears throat> you know, I didn't watch the, you know, Wonder Years has been rebooted. Oh, I'm so glad. On. I'm so glad you watched. I did watch brought, it. No, no, I'm that you brought it up because I had like flagged this to talk about with Brandon next week because I know he watched Wonder Years, but like I totally watched it. Did I, it? Was it? Was it a good? 
good return to the I mean cuz it's basically they're like doing the same format but it's a totally different person, right? They are when they, I saw it was narrated by Don Cheadle, I was like the main character has to be a little black boy <laughs> yes. cuz they're not going to give a little white boy the internal voice of Don Cheadle. <laughs> as yeah. funny as that would be. So it's incredible what they did with this show because I like the Wonder Years. We've talked about this before on other podcasts about how the Wonder Years was like 70% drama, 30% comedy. And then the Goldbergs did the same thing the Wonder Years did. But they made But it they flipped it. 70% like, comedy, 30% drama. Yes. Which, oh, quick Goldbergs came back, season premiere mm-hmm. is out. The whole thing is a tribute to George Siegel. And I was like misty-eyed through the whole goddamn I'm going to have to catch up with it. I, I fell off last season. Not for any reason. Just well, fell and off. Like uh, the specter of George Siegel's death kind of was in the final episodes because they had finished the season before he died. But then he died. And so they were like, shit, we don't know if we're coming back next year. So we don't have a tribute to him in an episode, but they like at the end of an they episode, did they did a little thing. montage, which was tr- touching. But then they did get renewed for another season. So they started out their season with like, it's a Bill and Ted themed episode. They're looking for a place because nobody's process. It's like months after his death and nobody's processing it pro- healthily. They're all doing a terrible job processing his death. And so the dad, what's his name? He... <sighs> Comes up with a Guy fake, from Curb. basically a <laughs> fake letter from Pops saying that's like, oh, I want you to spread my ashes in my favorite place. And then they go to a bunch of different locations looking for his favorite place. And they're collecting people as they go that like, oh, Pops, I remember Pops. He was the best. Bill and Ted are traveling through history, collecting people from from history. They're traveling through Pops history collecting people from pop's world and then they eventually like uh, that's such a goldberg way to like handle it too is like take this like quintessential 80s thing and then find a way to like reach in and have like a touching yeah touching thing yeah and it, it. it fucking like that show's always been pretty good at hitting those hitch in the feels moments and this episode is just like one big hit you in the feels moment. I'm 100 percent checking that. Yeah, out. it's really good. I got. I probably have like 10 episodes to plow through first. So, but dovetailing back to the Wonder yes, Years. So, back to Wonder Years. So they like rejiggered the formula, and it's like 50 percent comedy, 50 percent drama, which okay. is like the perfect amount for this type of storytelling. And it's a really interesting idea what they did because you can say like, oh, they flipped races, but that's not the entirety of what they did. Like what they actually did was they took the exact same time that we watched Kevin Arnold, right? So like when the Wonder Years came out, it was like a thing where my parents were like, oh, I remember going through that when I was a kid. And then it resonates with the kids because it's like timeless stuff, but it is set in like the 60s. This show takes the exact same time period, but they're like, let's see what it's like for a black kid during that time, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's really interesting. The pilot as pilots never are perfect. Right. It's not a perfect pilot. They do a thing where Martin Luther King Jr. dies at the end of the episode and whatever's happening up to that point like just ceases to matter because Martin Luther King Jr. died. And I do get their point of like life just stood still when these certain big figures were gone. But I think it was a little bit uneven. I almost felt like that should have been a second act thing. And it's like in the last 
six or seven minutes. Outside of that, I think it does a really good job. Like you really get like this whole world of what was happening in that. And it's not all based in race, but it's definitely there. They're friends with a white kid who's on another baseball team. And so they want to play them like against the other team in baseball. And, uh, there's a little bit of pushback from some of the parents, like the the black parents, just most of them don't want it to happen because they kind of know it would be trouble, you know, but you can see that they're struggling to like talk honestly with their kids about why it would be a problem. Right. So it, it is like an interesting thought experiment with it, but they're not hitting the usual beats you would see from that time period where they're like, there was this thing with segregation and we just met and it was all okay. No, it's murky and it's muddy. And I feel like it's a more realistic depiction of how that would have been at the time. But Don Cheadle's great in it. He's so good at like doing the dramatic thing and the comedy. Yeah. So like his voiceover just works for it. Like much in the way yeah, it's that- a good choice when I saw that, narr- like there's a reason why they're putting that on the poster for the show. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's the it's biggest like star. The- but he's also not actually in it. Right. You know. He's narrating it. Yeah. Much like Patton Oswald is in the Goldbergs, but not really. Yeah. Right. Like or uh, Daniel Stern is in the Wonder Years, but not really. Yep. Because he he even kept his name or off Bob the Bob Saget is in How I Met Your Mother, but not really. Yeah. 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 I remember watching that and being like, dude, that's fucking Bob Saget. And it never says his name in the credits. And that bothered me. I was like, I'm sure this is Bob Saget. And then I looked it up on the Internet and like, of course, the Internet knew. But yeah. Daniel Stern waited five years before he told anybody he was narrating it. Like I was watching in Arsenio Hall and Arsenio Hall pressed him on it and he finally admitted it. And he's like, why don't you ever talk about this? He goes, because I got a movie career, man. Because you got to remember, like at that time, it was like you did movies or you did TV and there was very little crossover. Like guys like John Goodman got to crossover. That was there wasn't very many people that got to like live in both worlds. So but yeah, I, I really like the Wonder Years. Yeah, I guess we kind of did the Night Court thing already, didn't we? <laughs> I don't know. Would you check out Night Court? Do you even remember the old Night Court? Not really, but I'll watch it because I like John Larroquette. I don't, and it's it probably will appeal to like the old man in me. Yeah, I don't feel great about this. I have a bad feeling about it, I mean, but I'll probably check got, it out. It's it's we're in an age of reboots and relaunches. Like, not excited about the How I Met Your Father, even though it's by the original people that made How I Met Your Mother. Because uh, I just am not a Hillary Duff fan. Yeah. And she's like the center of this new show. So even though it's like I watched all of How I Met Your Mother, I still like it. Like I recognize that there are characters in it that are not great. You know, Barney Stinson's not a good person. He's a womanizer and a manipulator and a liar. And he kind of never all really of gets those things. He like, never really gets his comeuppance by the end, though. Like he he has his moment where he realizes what he did, like when everything for him changes. Mm -hmm. Um, but that moment is literally in the final episode and it's also like the lamest excuse for realizing that you treat women bad, which is that he has a daughter and then he's all of a sudden he's like, oh, this, I've been treating women terribly because I have this female that I'm responsible for now. Yeah. You know, it's like. By the way, we're two fathers with daughters, so we understand this. Like, yeah, this, just, you should have made that leap already. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't need to be physically 
responsible for a female life to have respect for women. That's just like the lamest, fucking laziest. Like so, the thing, thing. that gives me pause about Nycor is that everything you said about this is like Dan Fielding, John Larroquette's character, except the redemption part because he doesn't have a daughter and realizes he's wrong. He never realizes he's wrong. But is he's he, just an awful womanizer. But is he a sympathetic? No character. No, he's a slimy. He's a slimy uh, different prosecuting attorney. Then that's the point. Then that's the point of him. Yeah, he's the bad guy. He, yeah. People can be bad guys and not be redeemable because that's the point of their character. Yeah, yeah. They represent bad. And he is a bad person. Occasionally because it's a sitcom, like you get to the soft underbelly of him. But that is the exception to the rule, man. Like it's, right. it's like 99% him being a slime ball. Like there are some shows where there it turns out that everybody on the show was like a good guy. You just didn't real like they just had like that's one of the things about Scrubs is like uh, every single character at the beginning of the series that's like like there's particularly Dr. Kelso, right? The, the head of the hospital. He is like an unredeemable, unrepentant asshole. But by the end of the show, everybody, including the audience, loves Bob Kelso. By the end, because right. they peel the character back. They show you like, oh, when he makes these difficult decision decisions and acts like he doesn't care, he actually does care. He just has to put on this face of not caring because otherwise he would not be able to function and do his job because he has to make tough decisions as the head of a hospital. You know, kind for, of thing. They justify his behavior. For all the lumps that the office took in its last couple of seasons, the one thing that they did do absolutely right was they slowly showed you why Dwight is the way that he is and makes him somewhat sympathetic while still being the same character like they actually did a good job with that character in particular like by the end of the show he is the boss and he just straight up fires kevin but it's not like did you ever watch The Office? Nope. Okay, so Kevin's like the moron. I know who all the people yeah, are. Though. He's like the moron <laughs> in The Office, but like I don't have he, to watch he's a like, TV show. He literally the first it. thing he does when he becomes the boss at the end is like fires Kevin, and he's like shocked, and he's like, "I thought we were friends." He's like, "Yeah, but you're incompetent. You should be doing something else." And he actually like lets him down easy when he's firing him, but he fires him because that's what a good boss would do. Because this person actually like was worse on the environment than he should have been and he find he goes and bartends and actually is way happier bartending well that's convenient it's it's convenient but it's also like a year and a half later because they like they take a giant <laughs> time, time leap jump. in the last yeah. episode they did that in parks and recreation well, as well they had a good out <clears throat> because when the office was going the question was always what are they doing with this documentary like they're filming some kind of documentary what is it and so in the last episode you find out it's this pbs documentary and so they go to the premiere to watch it and then they like re- they do a, a revisiting thing where like it's been two years since we did this and uh, so it made sense to the show they actually like answered a thing that every fan of the office wanted the answer to which is like what is this and i felt like the office was the last one that had to do that because that just became the standard of sitcoms after that right like it's that reality Man, it tv was such thing a pop- well it wasn't the standard for sitcoms but it definitely established a new genre of sitcom yeah like or a new subgenre of sitcom because parks and rec absolutely followed directly in its footsteps made by the what same we do in the shadows yeah. followed directly in although made off of a mockumentary right like right i mean it was just like it the office maybe didn't pioneer the thing because 
you reality you could TV go back, pioneered you, it. You could actually probably go back to Christopher Guest, man. That, yeah, that Demo- is true. Like yeah. Christopher Guest, Rob Reiner, they I mean, started the whole. The first time I they started the that, whole yeah. mockumentary thing, and like a TV show version of a mockumentary makes sense. Like it does. Yeah, obviously it works because <laughs> some of the most popular sitcoms ever. I, I can't believe how popular The Office now, still I'm, is. Like as much as I, I liked it when it was on, I never thought it would have the staying power it did. Because I watched it once and I'm done with it. Like there was, I enjoyed it. I have fuzzy memories of it, but I don't want to go. Go back and revisit but man like i never expected my kids to get into it independent of me and like do their second third watch through of them like and they're not <laughs> alone like it's one of the most popular streaming well, i've shows. heard two different things that, that recently about the office because it's kind of it's always kind of potential conversation on the internet you know people yeah. are like a sentence away from talking about it at all times. Yeah, yeah. And one of the, that was like kind of one of the jokes is like, I heard this one lady joking. I think she was a guest. She was a fan on the Conan O'Brien Needs a Fan, which is like a sub section of his Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend Is it like some some writers on it? No, no, it's Conan. Conan calling up fans okay. and talking to them and asking them questions and then giving them an opportunity to ask him a question. But the, he was talking about like with some random girl about dating and she was like, he goes, what should you not put on your dating profile? And like, what is something that if somebody puts it on their dating profile, you'll instantly be like swipe left. And she was like, uh, one of the things is like, don't put, I like the office. Because <laughs> that translates into I have no personality. It's like my personality is I like The Office. Like everybody fucking likes The Office. Come up with something a little more original to share about yourself. Yeah. Then I watch The Office. Like, okay. (laughs) Um, The other thing was that that show is hilarious to people that have never actually worked in an office but anybody that has actually worked in an office will watch it and just be like this just reminds me of how much it sucked to work in an office that's exactly where my dad was at was like he watched one episode and was repulsed by it and i was like what do you not like about this and he was like this is exactly what i went through in my office and i don't want to watch it like it's not funny when you're on the inside Yeah, yeah yeah and so like uh, I wonder if, like, maybe the same. Maybe if I actually worked for local government, I wouldn't find Parks and Rec as funny as I do. But I think Parks <laughs> and Rec, like, I am constantly amazed that Parks and Rec is not the more popular of the two because yeah, it's I always directly been... compare those shows to each other. And Parks and Rec is Parks and Rec is by far. Yes. A far superior show. You know what I said <laughs> about like The Office? every aspect. You know what I said about The Office where I said, uh, you know, I've like, I've did, I did my watch through. I'm done with it. That's not true for Parks and no. Rec. Like, I, I haven't done over a second watch through, but over. I know it's going to happen. <laughs> it's so I know good. it's going to happen. Like, and you know what? I even Honestly, like the reunion the thing, though, show. You can skip the first season, though. No, I disagree. You really can. I disagree. I know what you're saying, and I know a lot of people don't like it. Brent Danowitz is like I think the weakest so some of, of the show. funniest things are in the first season, though. Like when you have Chris Pratt is laying in that waiting pool, Ugh, but he's, he's naked. That's like just him is the at the no, worst. No, but th- he's like naked in the waiting pool, and he's listening to his own band. First off, which is just like so <laughs> fucking gauche, like Mouse Rat. That Mouse was the name Rat. of his band, right? And that guy comes up and he's like, "Hey, hey, can you turn that down, please?" And he's like, "No, man, that's my band. I should turn it up." And the guy like runs off with the stereo, and he like leaps out of the waiting pool with 
with two broken legs and he's like trying to hobble after him naked and it's like one of the funniest oh, things Pat. I've ever seen. I And it's only like six episodes. Like the first season is it's short. It's very short. Yeah. And they also course correct it so perfectly and so second immediately. Yeah. Like cut Brandanowitz. That guy was the worst. Uh, and I I blame the actor. I think the actor. I don't like which, that what, actor. Which one is that? He's the one that was like kind of the city planner job, the architect guy. And he was sort of peripheral, but Amy and him had history. Okay. Yeah. And then he leaves at, after season one. And then he like re-shows up very briefly in like the third season. If he does, it's for a single it's like an episode. episode. Yeah. yeah. And But when he leaves... They replaced him with Adam Scott and what's his name? Rob Lowe. Rob yeah. Lowe. And oh, my God. What a great dude, every, one, too. Every couple of years, dude, on Facebook, I get this memory that pops up. And the memory is me yelling at Matt Campbell because I'm like, you never told me how amazing Rob Lowe was in this fucking show. <laughs> like, I, like, I'm like just yelling at him. And then Matt Campbell, now producer of uh, Redwood Sound Lab. Like how the worm has turned on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, wa- I've for for a long, long time. I've wanted to do one of those uh, uh, recap podcasts about Parks and Rec with Matt, where we do an episode for every episode of the show, and each episode is just like us talking about that episode. And so maybe someday, you know, what's going to happen with that is that somebody from Parks and Rec is going to do a podcast where they recap it with one of the. Like it'll be they're already it'll be no, someone who's like mid level famous and then no, Rob like Lowe, somebody who's Rob Lowe's low, doing that is right he? now. All right, there you go. Yeah, it's already care. done. That, that's what care. happens I'll now. Still though. do it. Like all those really streamable it's, shows. There, there's a they're doing that with The Office and it's uh, they they did it a long time ago with The Office. Right there's the a, Office Girls. Yeah, that's still going. I guess then. Yeah, still do. they it's probably a, have gotten through the whole series and are now just talking about random shit. But it's Jenna Colm. Is that her name? Jenna. I was trying to remember. It's Jenna something. Man, she was so big and then just like kind of went away other than that podcast. I, I, I'm I a big, big fan of her, but not for The Office. Oh, for uh, Dewey Cox, the yes. walk hard, or walk she hard, the Dewey Cox first, story? Second wife. Second. Well, his real, yeah, his main <laughs> wife. Kristen Wiig was his first wife. His child bride. Yeah. <laughs> Never going to make it, dude. She's the main love interest. I do of believe movie. in you. I just know you're going to fail. <laughs> When's it going to be time for my dream? I told you. If it rains, the household no, candy's going to melt. That's the it's crazy. Not no, viable. that's the crazy thing about that back and forth is he doesn't even mention rain. He says, she says, what about my dreams? And he says, I told you, I can't make you a house out of candy. The sun will melt the candy. Oh, and right. then she says, not if it never rains, which makes zero <laughs> sense. They're not even like, was that two different takes that they stitched together? To be fair, to be fair. How would you be able to keep a straight face be, with her replying yeah, that to you? To be fair, Kristen Wiig's character was 16, I believe, at the time that that happened. So. <laughs> Which is still stupid for a 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah. God, I love that movie. Uh, so transitioning off to another movie. So Blade, they announced a writer for it. So it's going to be written by, and I'm probably going to mangle this name, so I apologize, but Stacey Alsay-Kafour? I don't know. But she wrote on Watchmen, 
So I thought nice. you might be into that. It's going to be directed by Bassam Tariq, who directed Mogul Moglai. I, I've never heard of it. I don't know anything about huh. it. And Kevin Feige has said it'll be released in phase five. He's also said it will most likely be PG-13. So anybody hoping for like copious amounts of blood? Probably not. Pretty much said like Deadpool will be R-rated, but everything else is probably going to be PG-13. I'm kind of surprised they're not reigniting the Marvel Knights universe. Like Marvel uh, Knights. Imprint. They, I wouldn't be surprised if that makes certain like inroads that be into the, the movies that because should be of the, the R-rated Marvel wing is Marvel Knights. Like they should have done – this is what I think. Deadpool – well, actually, like I do agree with you. That I think Deadpool works better at PG thirteen because the uh, the thing that I like the most out of a Deadpool story is like not the lowbrow graphic humor, but the like uh, meta fourth wall breaking humor. Yeah, I agree. And I just think it would be so goddamn funny if every time he tried to swear, he would get bleeped, and then he would be like addressing that on screen, like. Why the bleep can I bleep Why the fuck swear? can I say it? What? I can beep and say that one? And someone yeah, yeah, like is just like, hit, oh, I only get one. You could have, <laughs> and then you could even get your lowbrow humor in with him, like, trying different swear words. Yeah, dude. And, like, which ones can he get away with? And, like, you should be writing Deadpool 3. <laughs> I mean, it's, I love this. But I think that that would work. But, like, I think that they should bring back Ghost Rider rated R. They should bring back Punisher rated R. I, they should make a, they should have made Moon Knight rated R. I don't know they if should they have make, Ghost Rider yet. Like, well, I know that they can do that. Well, they did that one character, right? I don't oh, know you if mean, they have well, Johnny Blaze. That's fine. I don't even care about Johnny Blaze. They yeah, just, fair. Just, just needs to be a dude with a flamey skull, right? I just don't know what the rights are because it might have been like, you can do this in other media, but not movies. Because I think Sony was the one that had Ghost Rider. So that, or, or maybe it was Universal. Or, no, I think it was Universal had it. So I don't know. Like, the rights might be kind of fucked up with Ghost Rider, but still go back and watch second Ghost Rider because it was directed by the Crank the Yeah, crank that, boys. that is a and hole in my resume and I've like vowed to watch every superhero movie ever so. It's the Crank Boys. They yeah. never let you down. They may not make like high high cinema, high art cinema verite, whatever <laughs> but they make a goddamn entertaining movie. Both Cranks are great. The second Crank's better than the first. They actually like managed to like kick it up a notch and not jump the shark because, like, they turn the shark into a cyborg robot and put lasers on its head. And, like, just they did amazing <laughs> things with it. Yeah, they're the greatest. Gamer. Gamer's good. Watch Gamer. Well, doubling back to Blade. So Tarek, who's the director, was saying that he read every issue that had Blade in it. And he was like, the continuity's not there in the comics, so we're not really worried about being consistent with the comics because the comics were never consistent. Like right. at one point, his name was like Fred H. Blade <laughs> in the comic, like for real. Like they just, He's, he had a business card. He had Fred the H. name Blade, that we're Dave familiar Walker. with. And then it came back for a run and they just changed it to Fred H. Blade for That's so who knows terrible. what fucking reason. Um, so they're not worrying about continuity. I think they're just going to start That's from fine. the beginning. Start fresh. Yeah. Take Do the it. elements you like, like it totally worked for Shang-Chi. Yeah. So, yeah. It worked great for Shang-Chi. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, boy. So I'm excited for that, but not till phase five. So we got a ways 
till that hits. But we got so much Marvel stuff coming down. Yeah, the I feel like we're doing. We got. We're fine. There's so much content these days. Even in the middle of a pandemic, they still find ways to film all this. <laughs> Doom Patrol season three has started up, and uh, that's a good thing because season two was cut short by the pandemic, and so the season premiere of season three is really the season finale of season two and uh i still think it's one of the most underrated uh superhero shows on television it's just like endlessly creative and entertaining and unconventional so if you're looking for more unconventional superhero stories this one is less uh a deconstruction like the boys are invincible <coughs> and more just like let's just like lean 100 percent into the weirdness of superpowers just really lean into and, the like, skid every single character has like their story is super fucked up you know, it's never straightforward, like ever. None of these characters have a straightforward situation that they're dealing with. Like, and also, like, they, there's always this tendency in these superhero shows to like eventually be like, it was all connected, right? And they do that in this sort of. But what's nice is like the connecting thread is not that like they were all sort of destined to be brought together by destiny, but. <laughs> Really, it's like this one scientist who is attempting to achieve immortality performs these experiments on all these different people and turns them all into monsters. And then he collects them into a superhero team, (laughs) 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 which is the thing you learn, you know. That's a spoiler, but uh, it doesn't fucking matter. No. Because this is, a, this is a story where the destination is nothing. The journey is everything. Like, yeah. Doom Patrol has so always fucking walked weird. to a different beat. It's conceptual and it's philosophical. Maybe in another show, you know, you might benefit from understanding, like, you watch Thor, right? And you'll benefit from knowing Shakespeare, right? Because yeah. they're like, it's Shakespeare. Because Kenneth Branagh directed yeah. it. And, he's and a that guy's got guy. a hard on for Shakespeare. Yeah. Watching Doom Patrol, you benefit from like reading, uh, what's that guy that did all the acid? <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson. No, earlier than that. Uh, William S. Burroughs. No, that guy did heroin. Uh, and Jack Kerouac. No, no. Uh, I'm like the, uh, I want to say John C. Not John C. Lilly, uh, but maybe it's John C. Lilly. He wrote a book of. But like, yeah, Carlos Castaneda wrote the mushroom book and I'm trying to, there's like a specific guy who was like a big acid guy. I mean, Kerouac like was acid a big guru. acid guy. Like he did the, the. Right. But he was a writer that did acid. This guy, his life was acid. Like he okay. was the guy that was, the writer he would who travel was around acid. the country. This guy, <laughs> well, he was also a writer, but he would travel around the country and be like, you should take acid. This isn't Jack Kerouac? No. Are you sure? I'm positive. I feel like he did that. (laughs) I'm going to type the acid guru. Oh, wait. The acid test. What's that? Okay. Ken Casey. He's one of them. Oh, Ken Casey. Ken Casey. He's one of the guys. But he's also not the guy I'm thinking of. Yeah. Ken Casey, who famously wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Like, uh, if you are a fan of people like him, then you'll get You'll get this show. It's like uh, conceptual weirdness. There will be monsters in the comic books. And I'll talk about the comics, not the show anymore, just to preserve the spoilery nature. But like there's a, a, a group of extra dimensional entities that have godlike powers in the comic book, which are then un 
created when they are, when it is pointed out to them that they don't exist because their own existence was only sustained by their belief in their own existence. And that's the kind of like circular logic insanity that is just the, the, the foundation that the Doom Patrol is built upon. So yeah, you, you'll expand your horizons. It's kind of like reading, reading the comic and watching the show is kind of like taking drugs a little bit. Yeah. So last week we were hinted at this. And so now we are going to pay it off because I wanted to wait till you were here because this was your idea talking about mothers who turn evil in fiction and how there aren't a lot of them. And we had somebody on Facebook comment. It was Donna Clark, who's Brandon's ex, (laughs) was commenting that she would like to hear more about that. And I think we were already thinking like we wanted to dive into it because we started talking about it on the porch after we recorded. So I went looking for examples of when mothers turned to villains in fiction. And all I could come up with was the same one I came up with on the show, which was Flashpoint. Like, that's it. And that was specifically not the comic, like the animated adaptation of it. Because in the comic, they have nothing to do with Bruce Wayne's mom. Like, it's just Thomas Wayne. Who turns into like edgelord Batman, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's an interesting thing too, because Batman's parents get murdered and he becomes a hero. Batman gets murdered or young Bruce Wayne gets murdered and both his parents become villains. Like both of them become villains. And, and his the father, thing. Yeah. his father becomes Batman, but he, but he carries two people. big ass pistols around and he just shoots everybody. He so becomes he's a what a vigilante killer. actually is, right? Like, like, he's a straight up. Yeah. He he doesn't hide behind I don't kill, and then and then like, he kills all the time. Batman's a vigilante, actually. but he also works with the police too. Yeah, this guy is just he's the Punisher Batman. Yeah, basically. and then his mother snaps and starts like la- like it's all a big joke, kind of the same. Sometimes the Joker gets portrayed in his origin as like suffering enough trauma that he's like, it's all a joke. Right. I'm going to embrace the chaos of the joke, whatever. And that's kind of what happens with her. But you're, you know, I came up with a lot of examples of mothers that are villains. Yeah. And that's but what I got here too. What made them into villains is very rarely uh, explored. And what's also interesting is they, okay, this is something that literally just occurred to me but disney has been going back and doing origin stories for their villainous women yeah like maleficent but but in the retelling of it they become heroes they make them good guys what is happening they just have to do it like they can't allow why can't we let women be come evil it, it is insanity what's so why are we holding them back in that weird way <laughs> well let's let's explore this i got some bullet points of stuff to talk about here um some of them i'm going to gloss over we because got, like, i know you don't care so are we talking larger are, we, are you going straight into specific examples or are we breaking these down into other categories so this is evil matriarch it's literally on tv tropes i did not copy them all there was a lot of examples but i grabbed ones that i think the general fans would know so the first one 
one which I will gloss over because, like, respect for having you in the room, the Goonies. We had uh, Mama Fratelli, played by Anne Ramsey, who my grandmother knew that actress, and she made a living. Is she the main villain? She's the leader of the yes, bad Yes, she's people? the mother, and she's got two sons, and they're somehow hooked in with organized crime. And they don't really explain it. She's just, like, despicable. And she has a third son who has a disability, like he's all deformed, named Sloth, and she locks him in a basement. And then the kids find him, and they're scared of him. And then one of the kids gets locked in with him and becomes friends with him. And then, like, he becomes an asset to him, right? Like, he, yeah. he not only becomes her friend, but, like... This doesn't sound like glossing over to me. No. <laughs> I'm pretty kidding. much done. No, I'm just I'm kidding. pretty much done. But my grandma <laughs> actually knew that actress, and she was so good at playing despicable women that when she did this one role at a certain point, they were just like, yeah, we're going to keep bringing you in. And she just kept playing all these despicable ladies. And she is despicable, but no ex- exploration whatsoever of how she got that way. Next, same actress, Anne Ramsey, throw mama from the train. Danny DeVito, Billy Crystal, you ever seen this movie? No. She's also despicable, but you kind of see that she loves her son a little bit at the end, even though she is despicable. And so Danny DeVito and Billy Crystal, they're like, they're in this movie writing class together and they're watching Strangers on a Train, like the Hitchcock movie, where it's like, you kill. Yeah, yeah. You kill. Uh, tell it's them the, to the criss-cross. audience. Right, crisscross. Like, you kill the person I want to. You kill, you kill that person, then and you then have a, there's no You motive. have an alibi for your own murder, the yes. person that you're connected to. And so he's trying to convince Billy Crystal to kill his mom. And, like, she's so horrible that Billy Crystal doesn't want to do it, but eventually decides, yeah, I'm going to do this because he can't fucking stand her. She's so awful. And uh, spoiler alert, like, it's a fun, co- it's a fun dark comedy. Like, nobody fucking dies from murder at the end of it. Like, she dies, but not from murder. (laughs) She just dies from, like, cancer or something. No exploration as to why she is the way she is. Uh, Next one, Carrie. Carrie's mom, right? Yeah, she's definitely a villain. She is the villain. Like, that's an interesting movie, too, because, like, there's a lot of villains in Carrie. With the story of Carrie, it's basically the payoff is the end. Mm-hmm. And everything else is the build up to the payoff. But it's even like the a lot of the other high school students are the villains as well, right? Like, right. Basically, she's everybody in by Carrie's everybody. orbit is a villain in yeah. this movie. She's she's a victim, and then she gets. You know what's really messed up? Now that I'm thinking about it, to take a break from your list. Just women, and not even mothers, but like women in general. If a reason is given for why they become like a killer or a a villainous character like it's like i i there's a lot of exploitation stuff from the 70s that's just like uh this girl gets brutally raped and then she kills all the people that raped her like yeah, i spit on like, your grave yep yep and uh revenge porn basically the, and that's the the thing is like that's i don't know who made it but i assume it was men I just can't. Maybe I'm, I'm sure wrong. of it. Yeah. But like uh, the fact that they put as much attention on her getting on her tr- trauma, on her rape as they do on her revenge is like it's gross mm-hmm. to me. Like I don't want to watch that. But like we see like the fall of like Anakin Skywalker. You know, that's what I'm thinking when I'm thinking like because like some I'm sure I have a feeling that a lot of the examples on that list it's are going to be dies. movies. Well, I think a lot of the <laughs> examples of the that are going to be on that list are going to be movies like Throw Mama from the Train. Yeah. Like that's villains and heroes are less of an, you know, that's kind of a thing for genre fiction. Right. Mm-hmm. 
here. Like it's a, it's really kind of like childish, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dresto Arden, all of the women in the uh, Dark Elf trilogy. Did you ever read those books? It's been a while. So like. But it's, I mean, the drow a, are inherently evil anyways. So. Right. But it's also it's a woman dominated society. And Drist and his father, Zach Nefane, are the only good people in the entire society, basically. <laughs> ah, you can make a case for Jarlaxle, but they're all male. Yeah. <laughs> so there's all these women that are evil, but no real explanation as to why they're evil. They just are. Like, and they're, yeah, but... they're going to sacrifice the, the men. Like, like Drist is about to get sacrificed when he's born, and then his brother dies in a battle. So they decide that's enough of a sacrifice for their spider queen. There's no... Ex- there's no exploration as there's the explanation though that came evil goddess okay. what's her origin story i don't know i actually do know her, origin her, story. Uh, her she she got in an argument with uh the the elven god uh Carillion or something like that and they had this big falling out and then she decided that she would go into the dark and claim the underdark like to basically just be contrary to him and like try and destroy everything he loved. So he loved the sun. She was like, I'll embrace the dark. The elves did not like spiders because it was a thing that could end their their life that like and their the creepy crawlies or whatever. So she embraces it, right? Like and turns certain drow into driders. They're like half <laughs> yeah. half drow. They're half centaur. Drider. They're centaurs, but they're spider centaurs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh that reminds me of another evil woman from fantasy, which is uh, technically Shelob is a this giant spider monster in uh, Two Towers. Oh, Shelob okay. is a is a female, and the the book goes inside her monster mind, which is just awesome because she has thoughts. She is uh, sentient, right? In the books and in the con- in the movies, she's just like a mindless beast. Right. There is no intelligence in that creature on the screen. In the video games, there's these really fun uh, Lord of the Rings video games where you're like running around as a different ranger and you're like branding orcs with this mark that makes them your slaves and raising an orc army to take down other orc armies. That sounds horrendous. It's pretty bad. (laughs) But uh, okay, so in the second one, because they made two of them, right? In the second one. They give you the whole backstory of Shelob. And it turns out that before she was a spider monster, she was a beautiful elf lady who got betrayed and retreated into her hate and it transformed her into a spider. And that's a common freaking thing. That's a common thing. Because Nagini, the snake that is Voldemort's like sidekick, his familiar, in the Fantastic Beasts movies, she was a human that was like cursed to get turned into a snake and that just like when Nagini was just a snake in the Harry Potter movies that was one thing but then you like re-watched the Harry Potter movies knowing like Voldemort's got this like snake around him and you're like that's like a lady <laughs> that has been cursed to be like his like snake pet gross and I'm just now realizing that when a female villain gets a backstory own, they have to be get turned into it, and I don't mean like okay. I have. I have they get a, turned into a monster. I have a, a contrary and, example of that. Okay, 
Okay, so this isn't something you've watched, but I can sum it up very quickly. Livia Soprano. So that's Tony's mom. And we find out over the course of the series, very, very evidently, it's because she has personality disorder. She creates conflict with everybody she's around, but it's literally because of her psychological condition. So Tony will always try and please her and he will never be able to please her because it is the condition that she has, which is why she goes to war in some fashion with like literally everybody she's around. She never feels joy, but they put it into this personality disorder that she has. Like she's a borderline personality disorder. And this is something that happens with people with borderline personality disorder. So they're actually, this is a case where they actually did sum it up because so much of The Sopranos is based in psychology. So that is one. Well, man, it would be really horrible if we couldn't find one single example. Right? Yeah. Here's another one. <laughs> so we got one. So here's far. another one that I will gloss over. But uh, Cersei Lannister and Game of Thrones, she becomes the way that she is yeah. because her sons. And you actually, do you actually get to see her path? You know, no. and. No, okay, but so you, fi- you find you find out they do have a that's flashback. That's the rarest. Thing. They they have a flashback where they like she gets her fortune told, and she finds out that like all of her children are going are going to die before she dies, and she'll die as queen. And so she doesn't want this to happen. So she's like trying to protect her children at all costs, which means like she fucking keeps putting them into danger, not realizing that this is like it, it's a destiny kind of like this was her destiny. But yeah, they do lay it out. But it's like one flashback you get five or six years into the show. So I think a lot of it is also dependent on just how women are used in fiction in general. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the most it seems like the most common form of female villain is like the femme fatale. Yes. And these are women that like arguably many of them in the stories that are being told, they are part of the reason why they're villains is they're in it because they get some kind of satisfaction out of being evil. But that is not seriously. Like, like, no, no, no. I'm. Yeah. Okay. So like, for example, one one of the first women that pops to mind is Xenia on the top in GoldenEye. Yeah. When she's crushing that dude's head or whatever, or his ribs and she's suffocating him with her thighs she's getting off on that yep she's enjoying inflicting she's a sadist right yeah. she's enjoying inflicting that pain and i think that most of the women that are villains in fiction are portrayed as such like very one-dimensional like just a sadist they're a villain because they like being a villain they like causing pain they want to be villains and we don't need to dive in it any deeper when like magneto's a villain they were like oh let's talk about Auschwitz and the freaking Holocaust. Okay. okay, so an example of what you were talking about, we see a femme fatale, but way later in her life, Mallory Archer. An Archer, mm, because yes. she they've shown enough flashbacks to know she was a femme fatale, but we just see what that looks like I mean, when she's, she's like in her sixties. Has an active sex life. Yes, yes, but we get to see what happens when she has a kid, and then she's like, still around, right? The actress Jessica. Walters. She died. Oh, damn it! Yeah, she died this year, I think. Even <laughs> ah, never watching Archer again. <laughs> uh, also, Lucille Bluth, right? Like, yeah. I, I would say like literally everybody in Arrested Development who's a main character, or who's one of the characters, you know, and. That- that's, is a villain. <laughs> so that's a different category. Except too, for maybe because Tobias. Like, villains in villains in non good versus evil stories, uh, 
are not like, they're more casually evil. They're evil with like their ignorance to the plight of the common person where she thinks bananas are like $50, right? Something like that. You know, like it's portrayed in like casual cruelty, dismissal of opinions, things like that, like real world cruelty. Yeah. And like Game of Thrones villains are like play with the tendons in your fingers cruelty or like have dogs eat your testicles cruelty or like pummel your head until the by the mountain pummel your head until it's, there's nothing left of your head or whatever. Okay. Or pour a crown of molten gold on your head and it melts all your face off. Some Game of Thrones there. <laughs> I've never I've that, watched that happens, the though. final episode and that's it. <laughs> You listen to me talking about Game of Thrones. I just want you to know I have only seen the last episode. I love and that literally you did that one hundred percent because you wanted to like en- enrage people. Dude, as far as you know, based on what I know of the characters, I thought it was a great episode. <laughs> okay, here's one that we know why she turned the way she turned. Friday the Thirteenth, Pamela Voorhees. Okay. Her son drowned, and the counselors weren't watching her. She's like the only one, man. She's, oh, I got and a couple more no, here no, that we know. She was an. She is like the exact. That's the exact description of like what I was looking for. Yeah. And then they, but then they turned it into him. Jason became the villain after the first movie because she gets beheaded at the end of it. <laughs> And you have what this, a waste, dude. Uh, so there's a whole. There could have been a whole not, franchise with not, an evil mom. They and were they not kill her in the first movie and make the son the villain. Yeah, they were not intending Boring. on having Jason be a villain. Like if you watch that first he's one, you only see him in a dream sequence. He should have been. He and was then a when they go to do the character. sequel, they're like, "How are we going to do a sequel? This is too big to not do a sequel to." And so that wait, was wait, wait. what they came up Isn't with. Isn't the very end though of Friday the Thirteenth after they've beheaded the lady isn't he come out of the water so they behead her and then like the girl goes out on the lake and she's sleeping on a canoe and, and then jason, suddenly, comes, like, jason comes up and grabs her and then she wakes up in the hospital oh that's a dream she's sequence? having a nightmare oh. yeah that was a they yeah absolutely they, 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 that was them chickening out they they basically like they were dream like sequence. we killed everybody so we have to go a different direction with it like and they were like she's hearing voices of her son so maybe we make it that he's some kind of like undead spirit like that was all that was what they came up with so we got one good one really solid perfect example and then they, she they take her immediately off the board gets and make removed. 12 sequels god <laughs> <laughs> Excuse this me, 11. They've never done the 13th Friday the 13th. This is incredibly movie. frustrating. Yeah. Um, here's another one. Okay, this one is good. This one's really good if you've never seen the movie. Have you seen Gone Girl? Uh-uh. Okay, I'm going to put – oh, God. But I do know you the know premise what? of – I know the I'm plot just going to say Gone Girl and people who know, know, and you should watch the movie. And if you don't watch the movie then and you really want to know, just look it up really quick in the internet. There are reasons for a mother in this to be evil. And that's all I do that. It's a Fincher movie. It's fucking solid. It's a really good movie. I don't yeah, want to yeah. spoil anything. So how about Jennifer's body? Jennifer's body. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that one is a possession spirit. thing, but there is part of her own personality is still there. So she's not like gone, gone. But also the story as a whole is something of an origin story for Amanda Seyfried's character yeah. as like she murders a room full of people at the very, very. A hundred percent. She's like a dark credits. superhero now. She's like a, yeah, she's a, a and 
I would even argue, I'd say uh, that that new movie that came out, uh, uh, what is it? Something about um, strong female protagonist or something. That's not right. Uh, uh, The one where the girl like uh, is uh, going home with guys and pretending. Oh, what is that one called? The one that was up for a bunch of Oscars this year. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck was that called? Because that's the same thing as the other one you mentioned. Oh, I got it. It's a promising young woman. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Promising young woman. That's what you're Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So here's another one. Uh, serial mom with Kathleen Turner. It's like a John Waters movie. Like she is a serial killer in that. I don't think we get to the bottom of why she is the way she is, but she does. We do know why she kills, which is like any slight whatsoever. Somebody like goes in a parking space before her. She kills them. Somebody like roughs up her kid. She kills them. Right. Like she just kills left and right. Uh, this sounds like uh horror comedy or is it straight comedy? It's John Waters. Oh, you know, okay. it, it's okay. camp. It's, it's camp and a half. That reminds me of. So I married an axe murderer because the villain is her sister, right? That's like killing all her husbands. Out of was jealousy. it her sister or friend? Or her friend. I think but it was it's like a friend. woman yeah. is the one killing everybody. Yeah, because she's oh yeah, that's the typical nineties like if somebody's lesbian they have to be evil, right? Because she Oh no, she is loves, that an evil she, oh, she loves God. her. She loves her, so she kills evil off lesbian all of her. trope. Yeah, that's, that's for a whole another episode. Other facet. That's, that's, that's a whole definitely other. Another that's episode. a different facet. That's like because also like we were trying to talk about mothers specifically, and lesbians are rarely mothers. I mean, in fiction, in fiction. yeah, <laughs> they're mothers all the time in real life. Yes. Um, so here's the last one I have, and I just saved it for last because I figured this would be something for you to chew on. So does the name Noah Carveth ring a bell? No, the Brood. Oh, of course. With her little monster baby things that she makes with her external uterus that she... And we know why why she's a villain in that. Because, like, she's she going has, through pressure and she has it's been externalized. No, she has narcissistic victimhood syndrome. Right. Yes. But, I mean, like, we know why <laughs> she has become a villain because, like... Because that, of this new, form of, she's going this new form of therapy where you project your psychological pain as a physical ailment. Uh, and, like, that's it, demonstrated at the beginning of the movie... Where a guy's talking about like his father beating him up or something, and that trant that turns into like literally he manifests boils on his face because it's a Cronenberg movie. Because it's a Cronenberg movie, <laughs> and uh, and then there's another guy who is played by this uh, very odd looking man that is in many Cronenberg movies, and they were good friends. He used he's one a part of his like stable of people that he would use, and he is in a state of constant motion. He can't stop rocking back and forth in his hotel room because when he went through the procedure the process he like developed a tumor and if he stops moving the tumor will kill him or some nonsense but this woman she has rage at the way her parents treated her and I don't think her rage is fully just. I think she was abused as a child, but I don't think she was abused to the point. I think she has this narcissistic personality disorder. But she has created, she's manifested, grown out of her body, this strange external uterus thing that creates little mini versions of her as a child, these little rage monsters. That are in raincoats. They... Well, they she they they dress them. They don't come out. In <laughs> yeah, raincoats. I know, but they come out in raincoats. I mean, they don't come out of the uterus. They put in raincoats, them in raincoats, but they leave the house in little raincoats. Yeah, and they are genderless. 
They have no, uh, they don't eat food. They have like this, they do an autopsy. This is, yeah, I was just going to say, this is your favorite thing. An like autopsy. when they do an autopsy God. to explain why the thing is so the way good. It, is. it has a little pouch like at the base of its neck that like slowly depletes. And when it depletes, they just fucking die. Yeah. But they like only and she's psychically connected to them and they literally only exist to like stuff that stresses her out. They murder it. They kill it. Yeah. (laughs) And they don't speak. They just kind of go. (laughs) Now, I'm going to say amazing. I'm going to say something from the bottom of my heart about this movie. Like, I love this movie, but I love it more than anything specifically because I think this is the real start of our friendship. Like, (laughs) we were like friendly before, but we sat down to have coffee at the Merc. And like you were talking about doing a solo podcast, but we were just like talking and like about various stuff. And you brought up the brood and you were like, man, you should really watch this. And you started talking about it. And I was like, yeah, it sounds fucked up. I got to watch this movie. But like that was the start of our friendship. You also suggested at the same time we were sitting down to to listen to the Blank Check podcast, which is still my favorite podcast. And you know, the funniest thing about that is that I thought that you had been listening to it for like at some point I got it into my head that you have been listening to Blank Check since the beginning. Yeah, it was because of you, man. And that you told me about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, memory is funny the way it works. Yeah. But because uh, it feels like more of a you style podcast it as a listener than a me style podcast. So the fact that I showed it to you, like how I get, how did this get made? It's like a me style and blank check is a you style. Right. But ironically, I've and been listening to watched... how did this get made for like 10 years. So. Yeah. <laughs> we both listen to them both. I'm just, I'm just putting us in boxes is all. Yeah. I, I think how did this get made? I started listening to it the first year it was on. Um, mm-hmm. Not the first episode. I did go back and listen to it, but like. They're all so good. Yeah. My favorite episode is still the one where they going back to the crank guys when they do crank two they have the directors directors. of the movie and so they literally get to go how did this get made and those guys go i don't fucking know how (laughs) did we do this i remember it's so crazy i remember cleaning up the hospital listening to that because i had i was allowed Mm. to put in my earbuds so i would and that is a fantastic episode yeah you learn a lot of amazing things you learn about biling Mm-hmm. And Bai Ling, who is like this, has been around. Yes. And you were like, you didn't even know you saw her in things yeah, a bunch of times. Yeah, we talked about it in an earlier episode of this podcast yeah. when we are talking about The Crow. Because yeah. I had no idea she was in The Crow. <laughs> like <laughs> She's in something else, too, that you're like, wait, what? Let me look her up real quick. Uh, so while you're looking that up, I do want to tease something for the next episode. Because we've definitely done a full episode here. We just hit the tip with the mothers here because there is like an even bigger subgenre of evil mother movie. And I'm talking about evil evil stepmothers. Oh, yeah. We've got to, we can't start into that yet. We'll do that next time. That, like, I realized very quickly getting into this, this is its own discussion. So we will get into evil stepmothers, why it's a trope, like historically, what that trope has meant, not to mention just a lot of examples on it. So you can look forward to that next week for sure. When we have a super packed episode, I'm sure. <laughs> Between <laughs> you and Carl and me talking on both ends, like the show's just going to get longer. It'll be fun. It will. But until then, take it easy. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email Not Safe for Network podcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small.
Have a laugh with Lauren and Sarah as they dip in and out of topics every other week on their shiny new podcast, Dippers. Weekly pop culture news you can use, coupled with reviews, deep dives you can't refuse, and occasional interviews on Not Safe for Network. Every week, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies, tracing their influences and effects on cinema. They also occasionally suffer through a really wretched stinker in the movie podcast, A Cosmic Void. Eric and Connor will guide you through the world of wrestlers on the big screen in the show you can understand just by its title, Movies with Wrestlers. <laughs>